Watching Banfield starts now. Welcome. It's Monday. I hope you had a great uh, weekend and that you're all set for your week. Um, I'm going to kick off your week this way. Uh, it, it was pretty dramatic down there in Texas today with the Caitlin Armstrong trial, day four. And um, Colin Strickland is the guy that Caitlin Armstrong was dating, living with. But when they were on a break, that guy, Colin Strickland, had a fling with that girl on the right, Mo Wilson. And then they went off their break, and Strickland got back with Caitlin Armstrong, and, and Armstrong d- didn't like that. She didn't like the whole Mo Wilson piece of it, and the prosecutors say she shot her dead because of it. So Colin Strickland spent his second day on the stand today, and it was not good for him. It was not great for her. Uh, And it was really, really bad for the photographers who were there because things got physical. So that was happening outside the courtroom. In the courtroom, there was a whole gasp because he said something that was like, oh, if I'm the defendant, I don't want to hear that. But then after, he said something that if I'm the defendant, I do want to hear that. So you're going to hear all that in just a moment. Also, I never thought I'd bring you this. The tenant from hell is gone. (laughs) she's gone Elizabeth Hirshhorn the lady who would not leave the Airbnb renter who turned her short visit into a 575 rent free uh, stay uh, at someone else's home in LA beautiful mansion and she just parked it wouldn't leave that lady gone look there's the proof it happened They moved her crap out of there, finally. But there is a twist, there always is, uh, very much like the Terminator, um, which was a Schwarzenegger character you just couldn't get rid of. She said, I'll be back. So anyway, I have an exclusive interview with the owner of the house who's going to tell me all about how this went down. Um, Here's a hint. There were police escorts involved. What? So you're going to hear all about that in a moment. Exclusive interview coming up. Um, And then she is not what you would call a catch. Although if you are the cops and you caught her, technically, she is a catch. Um, But for decades, she's been basically sitting and rotting in a prison cell. And for that reason, I would say you're not much of a catch, right? Life in prison, never getting out. And yet she is. And yet Susan Smith is somehow attractive to at least a half dozen men. Quite frankly, when I saw one of her more recent um, prison mugs, I was astounded. I think prison has treated her well, visually anyway. I mean, she's been in there since 1994. And if you are of a certain age, you'll know why. I don't need to, it's like share. You don't have to say share who, you just know. If you say Susan Smith, you just know. Uh, If you are not of that age, that lady there strapped her two babies into their car seats and then just pushed the car into a lake. Those cute little boys. Yes, heinous. And then what she did afterwards was sick, twisted, gross, hideous. I could go on. She yelled and screamed that a black man had carjacked her. Go find the killer, she said. Go quickly, I'm crying. And it turns out she just liked a guy who didn't like kids. 
and she got what was coming to her. Some say not enough, but prison forever. However, she gets the men, it turns out, because we've got the love letters. And I'm going to read some of them for you, the nicknames, and find out why they find Pookie in the pokey, the object of their dreams. All that ahead, so you can't go anywhere. So let's start on day four of the Caitlin Armstrong trial uh, in Austin, Travis County. I love Travis County, mostly for the lake, not for the jail. But it is a busy place, that jail. If you don't know the Travis County Courthouse, it's a really nice. Uh, it also has a jail attached. Not every courthouse has that. They have holding cells for when the, you know, the defendant, uh, who's not on bail, <laughs> uh, has to be held during the breaks and all the rest. But the Travis County Courthouse actually does have a jail attached, which is why we are not allowed to watch as Caitlin Armstrong, with her beautiful, flowing red hair, uh, gets transported to the, from the jail to the, to the courthouse every day. We usually get those, like, perp walks, right? The van comes in, they get the person out of the van, they walk them into the courthouse, and people yell, did you do it? You know, things like that. But you don't get that with this trial, because she's in the building already. She's sleeping there. So it's an inside job. When they walk her up to the courtroom, uh, you don't get to see it. You just get to see when she finally walks through the, the door to the courtroom. Unless you're you or me. We don't get to see that either because that judge decided that there would be no cameras in this courtroom. And of course I work on TV, so I'm pissed, right? But there's a bigger reason why I am livid. I'm going to tell you why I am livid in a moment, and I'm going to just hint to you that cameras in the courtroom aren't just for prurience. They're not just so we can do true crime TV and docs. It's not for that. It's so that you can actually follow American jurisprudence and follow it accurately and know that the job was done. Know that the people, you know, in the people versus, actually appreciate and agree with what happened in the courtroom. And I'm going to tell you right now, a mistake has been made that went all throughout the media, and it wasn't our fault. It was because the judge decided we could not see with our own eyes what was happening. So I'm going to correct the record shortly and tell you why it was so unfair to that lady right there on your screen. No cameras in the courtroom meant she got screwed for five days, and I'll tell you why in a moment. First of all, what a day. Uh, so Colin Strickland, the center of that love triangle, right? They were on a break. They were on a break. He was on the stand for the second day today. And the stand was not a happy place for him. The, the defense was at him and all sorts of uncomfortable stuff was happening. He had to, like, answer embarrassing questions. He had to hold the murder weapon. None of that, you know, would be... None of that would be good. This is him walking in. He wore a mask, whatever. Maybe he didn't want us to see who he was. But after all the testimony, it's when he walked out that things got really, really testy. He got physical. He shoved a cameraman and his camera, and then he stomped on another cameraman's uh, foot. None of that is good. None of it. Alex Capriello was there. He's our eyes and ears on this case. So let's just start, Alex, uh, with the reason that there was this violent outburst. Why... Colin Strickland got so mad and then took it out on, on cameras that were outside the courtroom. Yeah, I mean, it was just not a very good day for Colin Strickland in general. You mentioned a, a lot of the good reasons why he probably uh, was in a sour mood. He was probably feeling embarrassed. Uh, he had to testify about really painful memories about two women that were very close to him and in his life. 
But obviously that doesn't give anyone an excuse to be violent with other people, particularly photographers who are out there just doing their jobs. It's not just Colin Strickland that these photographers are focusing on, right? Every single time Mo Wilson's family comes into the courtroom, Caitlin Armstrong's family comes into the courtroom, the cameras are rolling. We don't have cameras in the courtroom, and so these photographers are doing their job, which is capturing the most important people in this case. And when it came to Colin Strickland, uh, we now know that this is actually his third violent outburst. There was one that happened on Friday that we didn't even realize until we were watching video back where he actually pushed another photographer's camera to the ground. Uh, but then again, today, during the lunch break, we saw it again. This one really captured on video, caught everyone's attention, him actually grabbing the lens of a photographer's camera and shoving it to the ground. And then later on, after he was testifying, leaving the courthouse, uh, he's being escorted by sheriff's deputies and other armed security. And he actually just goes out of his way to step and stomp on this photographer, photographer's foot. And actually, if you listen closely, you can hear that photographer actually scream out in pain. We have that full clip. Let's take a look together. Ouch! And I'm told that uh, not just that photographer, but several other photographers all went right back into the courthouse, uh, filled out witness statements, because obviously uh, this is unacceptable behavior when it comes to someone that's so high profile in this case, and he just can't be doing that kind of thing. So we're going to see if there's any sort of penalty. Uh, I've talked to other legal experts. They say, make no mistake about it, the jury's going to hear about this. And the big question is whether or not the defense actually brings this up later on in the trial and paints a picture of him being a violent guy. I mean, that's assault. You can't do that. You can't put your hands or feet on other people who are keeping their uh, distance. And you may not like it, but he's not, the, he's not the defendant here. And if it's stressful for him, I get it. I, I wouldn't want to be in his position. Um, his live-in girlfriend is on the stand for murdering a, a person he liked a lot and once dated. I, I get it. It's an awful position to be in, but nobody should be assaulting anyone. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the stuff that he had to go through on the stand. What put him in this mood to start with? Because it's, it's pretty um, intense stuff that he had to deal with on the stand. So walk me through the, the highlights. Yeah, this morning we really focused in on text messages uh, that were exchanged between him and Mo Wilson and then him and Caitlin Armstrong. And so Colin Strickland is being asked to read these out loud for the jury uh, and explain sort of what the text messages mean and what the extra context is. And uh, he just really did not look like he was enjoying that process. You know, again, his eyes were closed. Very often he was rubbing his temple or just, you know, keeping his head bowed. Uh, but they really showed a lot, not only sort of the uh, type of relationship that he had with Mo Wilson, which I admit was mostly professional. They talked a lot about bikes, but of course there was correspondence about where are you now? Where Have you made it to California? Or I'm coming to Austin, Texas. And so there was a lot of that back and forth. But even beyond that, it showed uh, the sense of jealousy that Caitlin Armstrong had, particularly in her text to him, you know, saying things like, you know better than to be hanging out with her at a popular cycling cafe here in Austin. Or send my love to Mo was a different text message uh, that she had sent to him after he had posted an Instagram video with Mo Wilson in the background. Keep in mind that video had dozens of other people, but Caitlin Armstrong apparently picked out Mo uh, in the background of the video and sent what Colin Strickland says was a very passive-aggressive text about it. So we saw all of that different text message exchange. And then you mentioned something that was obviously eye-opening, which was actually having those two guns that Colin Strickland had purchased with Caitlin Armstrong wheeled into the courtroom 
Khan was asked to put on surgical gloves, which he did. He had to open up these envelopes that had magazines of ammunition, and it had obviously the two pistols, two 9-millimeter pistols, which prosecutors say one of those was used to murder Mo Wilson. And, you know, it's just very dramatic when you see him put on the gloves and hold up the gun for the jury to see. They asked him to load a magazine. They asked him to undo the uh, lock that keeps the weapon from firing. So Colin Strickland did a lot today, and he was not very pleasant through most of it. I can imagine you're basically being told, handle that weapon and show the court how good you are with it, a.k.a. you might have been the killer. I mean, I can, I can see how that would be so offensive. But also, um, it's upsetting for him that he had to admit that it was his idea to buy those guns. I mean, that's a big deal right. for Caitlin Armstrong's defense, right? It's not, it's not Caitlin saying, honey, let's go get some guns and let's put your name on them, too, for cover. Uh, walk me through a little more about that conversation where he had to admit it was his idea. Right. Well, he uh, basically said at the time it was his philosophy that all women should have guns to protect themselves. Um, now, keep in mind, Caitlin Armstrong did express several reasons why she might like to have a gun. She was nervous about Austin's homeless population at the time. She was nervous about going on bike rides by herself through Austin streets. But yes, it was Colin who ultimately at the time believed that his girlfriend should have a weapon. He was the one whose name is on that purchase receipt. If those guns are his purchases. Uh, and we looked at a receipt that showed it that much. Uh, so yes, defense making some really smart moves there. Uh, putting the pressure on him to admit that this was mostly his idea. Hey, give me 20 seconds here. I'm out of time, but there was a moment in the courtroom where everybody gasped. What was it? Yeah, that was uh, an interesting moment because I believe it was the state who said, or they said, Colin, you know Caitlin Armstrong very well, don't you? And he paused and he said, no, I don't. Um, obviously, that is a big moment uh, for the courtroom to hear. Uh, but obviously, you know, when you put yourself in his shoes, you think you know somebody, you date someone for over two years, then you find out suddenly that she's accused of killing another woman that you've had a professional relationship with, and at one point a romantic relationship, and all of a sudden your mind is blown. You feel like you don't know that person anymore. Yeah. So it was definitely a dramatic moment in the courtroom. Everyone seized on that. Alex Capriello, our eyes and ears, thank you for that. I appreciate it. I want to bring in now um, Darren Cavanoki. He is a criminal defense attorney, host of the hit TV show Deadly Sins on Investigation Discovery, and an old friend of mine, too. Darren, listen, it was a bad day, you know, for, for Colin Strickland on the stand. But Colin Strickland's not on trial here. Let, let's put this into perspective. No, it may have been a bad day for him, but it sounds like it was a good day for the defense, that there's a lot of material that they're going to be able to use. Uh, and I expect we're going to hear a lot more about when we get to uh, when we get to closing argument. The um, you know, the the government is the one that's got the burden of proof in the case. Right. They're the only ones that have a burden. Um, but at the same time, it's really, really nice if you're accused of murder that you could point the finger to some other plausible suspect, somebody else that, that might have done it. And unfortunately, it sounds like Strickland is really giving them plenty of ammunition for that argument. Well, although I do love that moment that Alex just reported on where he was asked, you know, you know this, uh, you know this defendant. And he said, no, no, I actually yeah. don't. Thought I did. You know, right. and obviously he's intimating that 
I lived with this woman, and that's not the woman I know. I mean, I don't know this person that's on trial right now. Right, but I'm sure the defense is going to spin that for their own benefit as well, because that's exactly what you'd expect the guilty person to say. If you're going to point the accusatory finger at Strickland and say, look, he was the one that bought the guns, um, that I know there was some other evidence that came forward in the case about the bicycle that suggested he had some knowledge um, about the location of the bicycle. Um, now you start to get to his violent tendencies and these people that filled out witness forms about his assaulting cameramen and things like that. All of these things can be knit together into a, a defense argument. And let's not forget, Ashley, I mean, this case that the prosecution's bringing is a largely circumstantial evidence case. And circumstantial mm -hmm. evidence is, is certainly adequate evidence. Um, there, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just as reliable as direct evidence, except every state has some version of a jury instruction that says to the jurors that when there's circumstantial evidence, if there's two reasonable interpretations that you can apply to that evidence, one that points to guilt and the other that points to innocence, the jury is instructed that they're to adopt the one that points to innocence. It's only where one interpretation of the evidence is reasonable and the other is unreasonable that you can ignore reasonable. the unreasonable. Reasonable <laughs> exactly. is the key reasonable. word there. I always exactly. say if you if someone walks into your house and they got an umbrella up and they're soaking wet, it's reasonable to say that it's raining. It's unreasonable to say exactly. some crazy man just came out with a garden hose and I grabbed my umbrella and that's unreasonable. So yeah, I, I right, see but what it gets more and more reasonable the more material you've got. On, and it sounds like he's giving them plenty to work with. So here's something that I thought was a very good thing for Caitlin Armstrong, and it came from Colin Strickland's mouth. He said that she actually would flee off to far-flung places all the time. She went to Costa Rica for yoga trips. She went to Mexico, Thailand, Iceland, uh, Bali, Singapore, and that she would just go. And these were that was her thing. So it's something I think the defense really needed to hear. Uh, otherwise, why would she be putting that yoga mat in her backpack and am spraying while the police are looking and, for her? And heading off to Costa Rica. And generally, flight is, is it's evidence of consciousness of guilt. And there's a jury instruction that's often allowed that says, hey, jurors, you can consider flight as consciousness of guilt. But in this case, she was released. She was told by local authorities that she was free to go. There was no legal reason that she couldn't leave. And the idea that she does this kind of thing all the time, I mean, that's something I expect, I expect that the defense is going to be arguing strenuously. It is interesting, of course, that while she was there, she got this plastic surgery, maybe in an attempt to disguise her appearance. I don't know if that was planned beforehand, but, um, you know, there are some things <laughs> Darren, that were kinky about it. We're I, back to what's I'm just reasonable. Gonna... <laughs> I'm going to venture a guess that when the defense uses that in closing, the prosecution's going to say, does she often use her sister's passport to go on her vacation? <laughs> so yeah, it's like, facts that aren't great. Yeah. 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 Bad Indeed. facts. Darren, thank you. Will you come back again? I always love having you on. Of course. I love seeing you, Ashley. Take care. Right back at you. Darren Cavanoke. Okay, I told you off the top of the show I was going to... Uh, I was going to say why it's so important to have cameras in the courtroom. And here's why. In this trial, when the prosecutor did his opening, he was wandering around and he was wandering away from the mic and back to the mic. And, you know, everything was a little tricky to hear. And one of the things that was a, an incredible moment that floored me was that the prosecutor said, Caitlin shot Mo, 
Wilson twice in the head and then stood over her for four to five seconds, 45 seconds, four to five seconds, 45 seconds. Closed caption said 45. Most media heard 45. If you go over the tape, you hear 45. But reporters in the room said, it's not, where did that come from? It's more like four to five seconds because they got to see the actual video and hear the gunshots and they knew exactly what that murder pattern was. The rest of us went off closed captioning from a courtroom that refused to allow cameras and refused to let us see those pieces of evidence that would have cleared that up. So instead, for the last five days, we've all assumed that what the prosecutor said was that Caitlin stood over a dying woman for 45 seconds and then put another one in her heart, which to me <laughs> would be death penalty. But it was four to five seconds for that dozen or so people who got to be in the courtroom. The rest of us, good luck with that closed captioning. Cameras in the courtroom are important. It was unfair for Caitlin to have all of that closed captioning and these transcripts and all the rest soaring around throughout the media. It was unfair because it wasn't right and it wasn't what happened. And the only way we would have known what happened is if we'd been there with our own eyes through the camera. I digress. Okay, still to come, how was your Friday night? Did you do something relaxing and fun? because Elizabeth Hershorn spent her Friday night moving. She is that tenant from hell at uh, the mansion where she's been squatting and making life hell for the homeowner there. Um, that homeowner at first thought she was just a harmless Airbnb renter, but a year and a half later with no rent and no budging, she is finally out. And so is all her junk, crap, you name it. The homeowner is exclusive with me next on how this all went down. And the one thing the squatter has left up her sleeve. That's next. In the immortal words of Holland Oates, she's gone. She's gone. Oh, I. Oh, I. She's gone. She's gone. I better learn how to face it. She's gone. The tenant from hell is gone. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm happy to report to you tonight. Elizabeth Hershorn, seen here with someone who likes being near her. Um, somehow, she had friends, that's a statement in itself, who came to help her move. Who helps anybody move? She had some people come to help her move out of the mansion where she's been squatting for over 500 days for free. The poor mansion owner has done everything to try to get rid of her. He's been in litigation, uh, and she just sits put. By the way, this is the view right from his door. It's like, that's a very skinny little walkway, too, having to look at this tenant that won't leave. She originally was just an Airbnb renter in the little guest house, and what harm is that? What harm is that? 575 rent-free days. Litigation that's cost him I don't know how much, and she still wouldn't leave. And then this happened on Friday. Wow! This was overseen by the LAPD as well because uh, the homeowner didn't know who was in his yard, all these strange people. So we called the police. And then the police came and helped to oversee that this went smoothly. But Hershorn's already making new threats. Uh, like I said, like the Terminator, who you can't get rid of, I'll be back. That it was uh, him jumping the gun to change the locks when she had left. She hadn't planned to actually leave even though she was moving everything out. It's all very strange. So the most important person um, would be the homeowner. 
the Brentwood estate homeowner, Dr. Sasha Jovanovich, who is live with me now for this exclusive, along with his attorney, Sebastian Rucci. Welcome to the both of you, and thank you for coming back on the program. Okay, Doc, <laughs> what happened on Friday night? How did that happen, that she's out, and so is her stuff? Well, it was quite a uh, crazy moment, because we were in the house uh, filming with like the news channel our story and sharing it, and then once these three men started walking on the property, um, and I had no idea who was basically walking into it. And I approached them. They didn't want to speak to me. They uh, said, okay, something with the guest house. I walked over to the guest house, knocked on the door. Nobody answered. So then uh, I called the police as a home invasion, three men entering our property. Whoa. And so the police came and were they able to sort out what was going on? Like, did the officers ever say to you that lady in your guest house says she's moving out? Um, we asked them like mainly like I wanted to know, hey, is this an, pretty much a home invasion? Are they stealing something or are they even possibly going to stay with this woman? And I don't know what her plans were because she's been very mysterious all this time in the last four weeks. So mainly we wanted to know. Who are they and what are they doing here? Okay, so the, Sebastian, as his attorney, help me understand this whole piece. I mean, if she's leaving and taking her things, isn't it fair that, that you know, obviously Sasha could change the locks? It's, it's his house. He wouldn't want her to come back, understandably. But she's saying she wasn't leaving. What, what is, how does that work legally? Like, what's the story? If she leaves, isn't it over? And, it, and it, this house is, it reverts back to Sasha and whatever locks he wants to put on the door? Yeah, that's, that's our position. Our position is that if she abandons it, I mean, remember, she was told by the city she can't be there. She, she was given a three-day notice to leave. We're in the middle of litigation on this. And so my view was that she left. And so Sasha asked me, I happened to be there at the time. We knocked. She wasn't there. He said everything is gone. And so my position was she was abandoned. Until the next day when I wrote her attorney, said, hey, I don't know why you're filing stuff because your client left. And then I get an email back said, well, you jumped the gun. And I'm thinking like, no. So I responded back and said, no, it's on you. If you want to get back, you go to court. So, Sasha, when you got to go inside, finally, um, what what condition did she leave your beautiful guest house in? I mean, the, the condition was like, it was really, really, uh, if you remember, there was like a repair which had to happen like more than a year and a half ago, like let's say a, a year plus. That got really worse. Uh, there was a lot of flies in the, in the guest house. I had to open up the sliding doors right away. There was smell. It was dirty. And um, yeah, it was kind of something that were, my first reaction was everything has to go or be given to charity. So I imagine it's going to be a bit of a renovation, uh, some cost there. Um, and I don't suppose there's really a damage deposit, you know, issue here. Um, real quickly, Sasha, she found a, apparently a, a fully furnished apartment, according to the Daily Mail. It's at an extended stay hotel, $3,600. Uh, do you have any advice to that hotel? Well, I, first of all, I cannot believe that a person like this can actually rent something. So she might, maybe she co-signed with somebody, but how do you even rent something like 
in a, in a story that's been so covered so big and then but it happened and uh yeah i just have to tell them like honestly do your background check this lady is up for no good she will do this again because she's done it for 21 years and you know she needs to be stopped Sasha and Sebastian, uh, you know, watch your six and call us and let us know. I, I get all wigged out by the whole notion that she's saying I'll be back. But let us know what happens next. I, it's like a soap opera, but I sure appreciate you giving us the info. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Ashley. Thank you. Bye-bye. And we will continue to follow. I promise you that we're going to follow it. We have followed it. We're going to continue to follow it. Coming up next, nobody wants to be called a liar. And nobody wants to be proven a liar, especially if you are not a liar. Just ask a bunch of high school girls in New Jersey who were made to look like they posed nude for photos. When they did not, AI did it. Artificial intelligence did it. With some bad actors pulling the levers. But what recourse do we have? Do these girls have? If anyone anywhere can make you say and do things on video that you never did and you never would, and no one can tell the difference. Scarlett Johansson is the latest victim, and she's got some advice for all of us. Thank you, Jesus. That's next. Somebody stole Charlotte, uh, Scarlett Johansson. They, they just stole her. And when I say that, I don't mean it lightly. They literally took her, her face and her image and her noise and her sounds and her everything. And they just used it for their promotion. It was a, an app uh, that ironically makes artificial intelligence images. They just co-opted her, stole her. She didn't do it. She did not record anything for those people. They just did it using artificial intelligence. And if you don't care about celebrities, I hope you care about high school girls because somebody used artificial intelligence to make a bunch of high school girls nude. You just think about what your high school girl would feel like if images that were not her but sure looked like her were out there. And when they get out there, you know they just get out there and they never, ever come back, ever. But that's what happened. Parents are grappling with what to do. What can they do legally? What can they do morally? How do they deal with their kids' mental health after this? What about the boys that were allegedly behind this? What happens to them? What do we do with them? Do we even know what the hell to do legally? Have we passed the laws yet to catch up with our stupidity of marching forward into the, the great unknown? Because that's really the question here. Um, when I say the toothpaste is out of the tube, I want you to watch this thing that you're going to see. And I want you to keep in mind when you watch this, that the people you're about to see never said these things and they did not record these interviews. So have a peek. What if I were to tell you that I'm not even a human being? Would you believe me? I wish I could keep telling you that our mission in life is connecting people, but it isn't. We just want to predict your future behaviors. Whenever you come in here and interrupt me, you're breaking my concentration. You're distracting me. We're entering an era in which our enemies can make it look like anyone is saying anything at any point in time, even if they would never say those things. So I know what you're saying. Oh, what's different? What's different? You know, we've been like splicing and photoshopping since the late 90s. Yeah, but we're pretty good at sniffing that crap out, aren't we? Like when you kind of heard the Obama at the end, it, mm, 
didn't exactly sound like him, or you're like, eh, I smell a rat. And the problem with AI is that the rat took a bath. You can't smell the rat anymore. Someone can do anything they want with you, and they don't need a whole lot of your data to get you generated to say anything and do anything you want, including strip naked and do porn. That should catch your attention. We had a problem back in the mid 2000s, like I want to say 2006, seven ish,、um, because sexting became a thing that we'd never heard of before. Kids sexting a little picture of their boobs or something like that back and forth, and then suddenly we had kids getting arrested and being charged with possession of child pornography. The law had not caught up with our race to be quicker, faster, better, more digital, and we were kind of there now. Right, we are kind of there now. What do you do with the laws when they haven't caught up with the technology? Because those girls in New Jersey are a victim of us being too stupid to put the lid on it before we can actually figure out if it's poisoned. There's a whole segment that I'm going to do on this. I just wanted you to know that Scarlett Johansson had a small problem. She wasn't nude. She didn't like it. Somebody stole her. But those girls in New Jersey have a big problem, because that stuff is out there, and it is not the last time. It is going to happen a lot. So mark my words, folks. Be aware, don't be complacent, and start thinking about punitive and compensatory damages and how much you would want if it happened to you. You might be in a courtroom asking for it. Still to come, the love letter that you really need to hear to believe. It seems that some men, like at least six of them, have given their hearts to a very unlikely person.、Uh, Ms. Susan Smith, the notorious child killer who drowned her two babies decades ago, all for the love of a man who didn't like kids. Now she has her sights set on some new eligible bachelors. And wait until you hear the pet names and the sexual innuendos and promises they have made to her. All of it next. You have ever wondered if it's true when people say there's someone out there for all of us, right? Everybody has a soulmate. Everyone has a match. It is. It, it most definitely is, and I think the proof is in what I'm about to tell you.、Uh, there are a bunch of dudes that like Susan Smith, so there's someone out there for everybody. The reason I bring this to you is because. If you don't really know this lady, 28 years ago,、uh, she began serving her sentence for murdering her two little boys. Michael was three, and Alex was 14 months, so small enough that they still had to wear, you know, buckled-in car seats when they were in the car. And so she went down to the lake and left them strapped in those car seats and rolled that car into the lake until it went under, and then started screaming and hollering that a black man. Carjacked her with her babies and help us find the babies. And that went on for way too long, until finally she admitted she did it. She was dating a guy who didn't like kids, so she just killed hers. So I say this、uh, because it's weird. If you hear that story,、Ugh, who would want to date her? But 
She's getting lots of love letters at the Leith Correctional Institution in Greenwood, South Carolina. Would you like to hear some? I thought she would. One suitor writes, Dearest Pookie, been thinking of you and miss you so lots of O's much. Uh, hoping I can do something for you soon. Love you so much it hurts. Your Pookie. Okay. Another 60-year-old airline pilot, God bless us, if we're in the air with this fella, he created a fictional version of their lives together on that game, The Sims, you know. Um, and in that fictional life that he created for them, he named a child Michael in a sick tribute. There you go. Look at that. Oh, man. Michael was, of course, the three-year-old. There's a third eligible bachelor who instructed Smith, uh, only call me when the woman I live with is at work. That's a keeper. Uh, several men offered her a place to live uh, when she is released, which likely won't happen, but she is up for parole next year. Yeah, I said it. I don't think she's going to get it. I'll go on the record. Uh, the Messenger, the news site The Messenger, actually got transcripts of dozens and dozens of voice uh, and text messages. And this was the, you know, the net result. In 28 years, she's been disciplined five times. Um, twice for having sex with correctional officers and other times for drugs and self-mutilation. That's when Holly Coleman comes in. She's co-founder of Wall Street Prison Consultants and Pink Lady Prison Consultants. And she's with me now live. Okay, Holly, how normal is it for guys to reach out to... Um, women in prison? Because I know about the weird ladies that reach out to the Scott Petersons and the Chris Wattses, but I don't know that it's typical the other way around. It's pretty prevalent. I would say it's about 30%. You'd be very surprised. There are a ton of pen pal slash correspondents that are, I mean, you can just go online and see about writing an inmate and many, many women have their profiles put out on these. So the amount of mail that a lot, or attention, um, when I was serving, it was very surprising to see, just, again, surprising. <laughs> All different it, it is. It is weird. I sort of wondered if it affects their chance at parole. Like, she's got a hearing coming up. I can't believe it, right? She's already got a hearing 2024. Do do these kinds of things, this correspondence with men like this, have any bearing on um, her chances for parole? Yes and no. So I think with her case, this is curious, and for your audience, that she is a sociopath, um, you know, again, with her drug history, as well as the sexual relationships that she has and the male attention that she craves, that she's looking for stability. Remember, with her probation, or excuse me, her parole, all of the statements that have to go in, she has to find somebody that is willing to document and put their information out there and support her for reentry. So there's a lot of factors with this. And I don't think with the timing of this and the amount of attention that she's starting to get and how she's getting this attention from these males, male individuals, I think, I think we need to stop and look at she's smarter than we think. I think she's looking for to yeah. create that ability. So, so, yeah, well, and like this picture blew me away. I did not expect uh, her. I mean, if you look at Lori Vallow, the five years that she's been in the system has worn her out. But but here's Susan after 28 years, I think, looking younger than when she went yeah. in. But that I brings agree. me to the next question. And that is, how often do these guys actually follow through? And there is sort of magic on the outside and unicorns and rainbows. I think it's unicorns and rainbows right afterwards, but they don't understand that there's more 
there's still government overseas. She still will have a form of probation. So there are unseen things that they that they're going to be hit with that they're not going to expect. They're going to think it's just going to be a lovey-dovey session, and that's not not the case. So majority of these relationships, and to include which just normal ones, you know, don't make it. Yeah, big surprise there. I'm always shocked that there's conjugal visits at all for prisoners, but that's a topic for another time. Will you come back, Holly? Love to. Love to, Ashley. Great. Good to see you. Holly Coleman uh, joining us again, co-founder of Wall Street Prison Consultants and Pink Lady Prison Consultants. And she's the lady you want to talk to if you're going to go to the big house for some time. Still to come, it is the season for some football. And... Um, And though this is way outside of my field of expertise, I do know this. If you are going to speak to the opposing team's marching band, keep it civil, friends, especially if the band member's hauling around an instrument that weighs as much as you do. If the beat goes on, so does the beat down. Oh, yeah, I'm going to unpause that video in a minute. I do not know much about football. Um, I lump it in with baseball and basketball, and I call them all sports ball. So when my husband's watching, I just say, are you watching sports ball? But there is one thing I know. You don't interrupt the tuba player from the marching band at a football game, or you're going to get yours as you are about to see, this is uh, Jackson State University versus Texas Southern University. And the tuba players, a visiting uh, marching band member from Texas. Take a look. I'm just here for the comments. I mean, honestly, this guy didn't even stop. He just punched the guy four times for heckling him and then kept playing. And I don't think the hit hurt the guy as much as his pride got just pummeled by the tuba player. I mean, dude, what were you thinking? Both of you, what were you thinking? But they carried on and played the song. Jackson State, by the way, if you're wondering, won the game 21-19. And the Texas marching band got back in their vehicles and obviously headed back to Texas with a defeat. But was it really a defeat? Was it? Was it? Because this stuff's viral, folks. This stuff is out there. And I don't think anyone's ever going to remember the score of the game or who won. I think they're just going to know 